years fly by. The end of 2018, I don't know what kind of year it was for you, but I imagine there was some ups and there were some downs. I imagine there were some new relationships and a bunch of other things. And maybe as you're looking forward to the new year, what are we, New Year's Eve, Eve? So pretty soon uh, we turn over a, a new page of the calendar. And for some, that is the time of New Year's resolutions. And so um, before we get uh, too far into that, just want to set the stage and I'm going to let the skit guys help me out with that. So this year, I mean it. I mean it, mean it. I could not possibly mean it anymore. I got this. Candy bars, gone. Funyuns, gone. Ice cream, candy bars and Funyuns are gone. This year, I'm going to connect with people, IRL, in real life. I made a list. That means I mean it. I'm going to take care of myself right after I figure out who that is. Other than a mom, which I love. I beat myself up. I'm never good enough. That has to change. Why do I do that? I'm such an idiot. See? This year I'm going to work on being the cool dad, you know? Maybe go to the skate park, hang out with my kids. No biggie. <laughs> this works, right? I gotta learn to forgive myself. You know, give myself a break. Not be perfect. Got it. I'm gonna step outside of my comfort zone by volunteering at the hospital. Maybe the pet shelter. Cause cats, they're so much easier. This year, I'm gonna forgive my mom. Now that I am a mom, I, I totally get it. This year I'm gonna start reading literature. You know, books and such. Cause I hear it's good for me. This year, I'm shaving my back hair. I am tired of those kids at the neighborhood pool calling me Sasquatch. It's just that I am comfortable staying in my comfort zone. To be continued. Any of you relate to some of those people? Sasquatch back? No, no hands needed? All right. Uh, many of you are like, oh, New Year's resolutions. I, I don't do those New Year's resolutions. I, I, find, I find some of them... Um, uh, these ones relatable, other ones humorous. I saw some tweets this week that, uh, you know, people talking about, I'm going to eat less, you know, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to eat less sugar, eat less gluten, or just eat less. You know, I'm going to watch less Netflix or whatever it might be. Uh, then I read this one. It says, I'm really unfit. Running to catch the train has almost done me in. So my New Year's resolution is, I'm never running again. I'm like, there's one you can keep. Or this, my New Year's resolution is to get really into essential oils and then make sure I bring up the fact that I'm really into essential oils in every conversation I have until the end of time. I've met some of you. You know, most people, we asked last night, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? Really, was like, no, you know, I gave up on that a long time ago. You know, I still have the same one as last year. And a lot of times we don't make them because we don't think we can keep them. And, uh, uh, or we, make, we don't make them because we haven't kept them. We're like, yeah, the New Year's resolution thing is something I, I don't really want any part of. And then, and then I found this picture and I thought, this perfectly illustrates kind of the thought for today. You know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to exercise every day. I'm going to go on a diet and stick to it. Wait, is that cake? That is kind of, if you missed the whole message, I just hope you remember that picture because maybe it'll bring back to you the thought that I want to share with you today. Um, I've just decided this year I'm going to make resolutions that I can keep. My New Year's resolution is I am going to eat more chocolate this year than last year, and you've helped me to do that, so thank you. But resolutions, what, what are resolutions? Resolutions are, is this, it's a, it's a firm decision to do something or not do something. Pretty simple. 
But most of us, you know, it's just we make sort of this, we have this good idea, this good intention. There's not really any firm part of that decision. It's, it's firm for the moment, but it's not. There's something missing, and, and uh, it doesn't usually last. And the thing with resolutions is it's really not a New Year's thing. It's not just a New Year's thing. People make resolutions all the time, you know, at any, any different time saying, hey, I'm, um, I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do this. And they make a firm decision. And, and many of you have maybe been like some of these people who said, I'm never going to do that again. Maybe you've heard yourself say that. I'm never going to lick the flagpole in the winter again. You know, or I'm never, I'm never going to try and show off for that girlfriend, you know, again. Or I'm never going to jump into a cactus, you know, again. But maybe for you, it's very different things. You're like, I'm never going to drink that much again, again. Or I'm never going to look at that on the internet again, again. Or I'm, you know, I'm never going to say those mean words. You know, I'm never going to lose my temper again, again. Because it's like, oh, I've made that resolution. I've made that. And for some reason, it didn't stick. Ever been there? Nobody wants to raise their hands for that. So that's okay. But you know, people, you know, then, then there's the times we make these rash resolutions, like it's in the heat of the moment resolution that we made, and some of you are now married as a result. You know, like they make these rash decisions, these rash, rash resolutions, and, and uh, um, it, it doesn't usually go well. Those are the ones we have so much difficulty keeping. Um, and, and I don't know if you know anybody like that. Well, if you know me, you know I've done it once. Um, I remember as I was kind of prepping for this, I was reminded of the time when um, years and years ago, I had first moved uh, to this area, and I was working on a dairy farm. I was working for my in-laws, trying to start my seven years so that they would give me one of their daughters. And so I, uh, I was loading bales. Um, we were loading bales for, uh, for haying season. My father-in-law had said, you know, we know you're youth pastoring, so you don't have to work too hard on the farm, but just when haying season comes, we need you then. Like, you can take off the rest of the year, but just haying season, we need you. So there I was, day one of haying season, brand new to all this stuff. And there, there we are loading um, square bales, and they're going up the elevator. My sister-in-law, Lindsay, was uh, in the hay mow, and I'm at the bottom. And I'm putting hay bales on the elevator, and I'm just like, I'm just giving it. I put too many on at a time, and the, and the elevator couldn't handle it. And so the belt started slipping on the pulley. And so I thought, uh-oh, that doesn't look good. And I grabbed the belt, and I pulled on it to make sure the belt would spin quicker. And my hand went through the pulley. And I realized right away, something's not right. And I, I couldn't tell because my white gloves were turning red, but I was like, okay, something's not right. And I ripped my glove off. I saw my first finger was cut. My second finger was cut. My third finger was cut. And my, my pinky was just dangling off the end. I know. And I was like, that's not good. And to be honest, I screamed like a little girl and I ran all the way to my brother-in-law Wesley's house and I banged on the door and I screamed in, that, in the door and, and he ran down. He looked, he's like, oh, he screamed like a girl. Then he went to the freezer, grabbed frozen vegetables. We raced off to the thing. They were open vegetables. So vegetables are all over his car. He drove 140 kilometers an hour to Hagersville Hospital. Uh, then we got there. We ran into Emerge. We're screaming together. Vegetables everywhere, all over the whole, the whole waiting room. They're like, this is serious. Get him in. So they put me in on the gurney. I'm in my barn clothes. I stink like the barn. They're like, we're going to get right to this. And then all of a sudden something happened and they didn't come back. And they're like, oh, later on, this nurse came and was like, somebody had a heart attack. Yours is serious, but that's more. You've been bumped. And I got to lay there for eight hours with my finger in a little thing. I know, it's pretty crazy. Laying there, with like, laying there waiting for a doctor to come back. And, and uh, then they decided I need to go for an x-ray, probably because they didn't have anything else to do. I'm like, it's obviously broken. But they, uh, they took me for the x-ray. And as I remember sitting in that x-ray room, I had one of these rash resolution things. I was like, dear Lord, please let me keep my finger. Like, I'm not even married yet. I need to keep my finger. I 
don't know why those things were related, but everything back then to me was like, don't, don't do anything that might hinder me from getting married. Uh, but I was like, I want to I keep my finger in the worst way. And so then I made this rash resolution. I'm like, God, if you let me keep my finger, I will never sin again. Well, I got to keep my finger and I never sinned again. Because that's the power of resolution, right? Well, and you're like with me, you're like, I don't believe that. I think he just lied. Pretty true, pretty true. It's like those resolutions that were like, we, we, like we, we have great intention, and it's a really good thing. And yet we find ourselves, ah, uh, something's missing in our ability to keep or to live out that resolution, and they're, and they're not easy to keep. And, and really, any worthwhile resolution isn't easy to keep. And many people have given up on them completely. But I would like you to consider one today. I'd like you to consider one. Maybe you're like, I'm not into resolutions. I just would like you to consider. I don't, I'm not saying you have to make it, but just to consider it. So today I want to look at something from the Bible, because uh, that's why we're here. We uh, study, we study uh, what, uh, what he says in, the, in uh, what Jesus ta- teaches in the Word. And, and uh, so I want you to turn to, to the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is, well, approximately 25 to 30 years ago, there was, um, you know, after Jesus' death and resurrection, it's not 30 years ago, at 25 to 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, there's a guy, an educated man. We know he was able to write. We know that he was a physician. We know that his name was Luke. Uh, and he decided to write an orderly account of the life of Jesus. And he was writing it for one guy. But because it was such a valuable document, we have it today. And you're like, well, how do you know that? Well, this is part of his, part of his document that he wrote. He started it this way. He said, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He says, many people. You know, we know of others who also started to write about the life of Jesus. And you know why they wrote? They, they didn't write this, you know, at the, at the very beginning. This wasn't written in real time. What happened is, as they saw a man who was crucified, and they had seen hundreds and hundreds of crucifixions. They saw that man buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And they're like, that has never happened before. We've got to figure, who is this person? Who, who can predict their own death and resurrection and pull it off? Who is this man? And they began to, to, to believe that, you know, he was who he said he was, that he was not just a man, he was God. God come to uh, the world for man. And they began to write. Writing was, was not like today where you're just like, ah, I grab a pen from the dollar store and a piece of paper. Writing required a, a lot of effort. It required a lot of expense. But they began to write. And he says, you know what? Many people have set out to write these accounts that have uh, been f- of, of the uh, of the events that have been fulfilled among us. It's why they're writing. He says, they use the eyewitness reports that were circulating us around, among us from the early disciples. He says, there's eyewitnesses. This is what I'm writing. I'm writing what eyewitnesses have seen. He says, I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Is that in just like, you know, somebody just told a story. If they told a story, I went and found out if that story was true. He says, I've also decided to write this accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus. And many think he was the one who was funding this, this literature. I'm paying for Luke to be able to, to do this. He says, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. He says, you've heard the stories, but I want you to know that you can trust that they are true. That's what Luke was doing. It's fascinating that we have it with us because the story that we're about to read was given to this man, Luke, based on eyewitness reports. He had evidence of this. Probably, he probably talked to the people, uh, one of the characters uh, that was actually in the story we're about to look at and had this conversation, you know, as he was compiling his, his, his uh, information, you know, maybe one of the guys was like, Luke, seriously, you're writing a story about Jesus? That's awesome. You're writing the account here. You got to put this story in it. 
He's like, okay, tell me. He says, this one has, this one has to be in there. And so as Luke would have, um, would have been writing, he would have, uh, he would have wrote something on, on something like this, on a scroll, not something, you know, like paper like we say, but it would have been something like this. You know, this stuff was really expensive. As you're writing, you don't want to make mistakes because you've got to toss the whole thing out. You know, it's like as, as he's writing uh, on this, it's like realizing, wow, you know, you don't want to just, just waste any space or, or time. So Luke includes this, the story we're about to read, and it, it, it's, it's incredibly important. Let me just set the, the, the surroundings of it. Um, we'll give you a map so you can take a look here. Jesus, um, Jesus has been traveling from up north there in Galilee, Real place you could you know you can find this on uh, on on Google Maps, but he's traveling from Galilee and he's actually on his way south. So he passes by Samaria, which is kind of in the middle there, and all the way down almost to the Salt Sea, and he comes to that place near Jericho. So as he's on his way through Samaria, he actually tries to stop and talk to the Samaritans. He sends the disciples ahead saying, hey, Jesus is coming, get ready. And they're like, we don't want anything to do with Jesus. He's going to Jerusalem. We hate Jerusalem. Just forget about it. So he goes on past that. So he's on this road between Jericho to Jerusalem. You can see the the short distance there. And that's where the famous story happens, where someone comes up to him and says, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? He says, well, what does the law say? What are the greatest commands? And, he, and the guy answers and says, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. You do that and you'll live. And then he says to him, well, who's my neighbor? And that famous story of the good Samaritan is told, which is just incredible. Just as a side note, Jesus is probably on that road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he says, hey, there was a man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho on a road very much like where we're sitting here. He says, and, and he says, and, and he, the, as he was attacked, you know, the, the religious people came around him. He says, that's, that's not who the story's about. There was a good Samaritan. You could just imagine them thinking, what? Like, Jesus, the Samaritans just rejected us, and now you're making them the good guys in the story? Because that's who he is. And he says, as he's in that spot, he answers this man's question, and it says they continue walking on the road to Jerusalem. And here's where we're going to pick up uh, this morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Hopefully you've had enough time to find it, but, uh, or you can read along or grab a, an envelope, take some notes. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 says this. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they'd walked a long way and they're still going. They came to a certain village where a woman, and in the, uh, in the Greek translation, it says where a certain village and where there was a certain woman named Martha who welcomed him into her home. See, it's really important. Luke's not just making up a story. What he's writing is true. He says there was a certain village. We know from John, who was another eyewitness, that that village was called Bethany, and we learn about that uh, later on. It's actually my favorite town in the whole New Testament. Um, Bethany, uh, right here, Um, also the name of my wife. So this uh, is the artist's rendition of what it may have looked like then. This is what it looks like now. You could go to this place, but he says, this is, this is a real place. And somewhere in that real town, there was a real person named Martha. Because when we read sometimes, we just read and skim and go past. It's like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Real people, real, real places. This morning, real place, real people. Uh, and, and so Jesus is in this town called Bethany. And Luke chapter 10, verse 39 continues. It says, Martha had a sister. Her name was Mary. We're not just, oh, there was just somebody He's like, if you want to go to Bethany, go and talk to these people. There was a woman named Martha, her sister's named Mary. Go and ask her if you, if you doubt what I'm about to tell you is true. It says her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, and that's kind of what I want you to focus on this morning. Sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. You know, in kids' church, I remember back in the day, we always you know, see it on the flannel board where Mary was sitting at, at, uh, at Jesus' feet. And if you know the story, you might just be like, oh, I already heard this one. 
But uh, that's so easy for us to do, and yet God can speak new life out of things that we've maybe heard before. But sitting at the Lord's feet wasn't just, wasn't just like a, a, a literal thing where she was sitting at Jesus' feet. It's actually a, a, a phrase that they use. It was like an idiom. Anybody know what an idiom is? An idiom is something that can be, can be literal, but it can be figurative as well. For instance, something like saying, you know, get off my back. You know, telling your boss, get off my back. It could be literal or figurative. You know, the other, the other thing is like, you hit the nail on the head. That could be literal or figurative. And with this same thing, um, Mary is actually doing both. She's literally sitting at the feet of Jesus, but sitting at the feet actually meant something more. It was actually a term saying, when you sat at the feet of somebody, you were their disciple. You were following their teachings. So when Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, you like, you kind of read by and think, oh, you know, that's not, that's, that's, that's interesting, but what's the big deal? The thing is, we read it from a North American culture, 2,000 years later, actually having been changed by this event and don't even realize how incredible that little bit of uh, literature is. Do you realize in their culture that uh, women, women were considered almost, well, they were considered property. They didn't have values. They were not allowed to be disciples. That, that was not their, they were not allowed to be sitting at the feet of somebody. They were not supposed to be listening to a, or learning from a rabbi in, as, a, as a disciple, as a follower. They could hear it from their husbands, but they weren't actually to be like a first-person follower. Well, Jesus challenged and changed the way the world thought about women. I think every woman on the planet should follow Jesus because of this. He's the one who said, you know what? Women have value. Children have value. They're, they're, they have equal value with people. And it was like, well, that's, that's crazy. But you watch the disciples. You watch the disciples' reaction to Jesus every time he was around women. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, what happened? They come back and like, what are you doing, Jesus? Like, she's a Samaritan for one. We don't talk to them. Uh, and, and she's a woman. You know better. You don't, you don't talk to women in public. And yet Jesus was like, yeah, that's old school. I'm doing something new. This woman is valued. When he saw the woman caught in adultery, everybody knew that she was guilty. And yet Jesus not only stands with her, but he stands for her against all those who would, who would accuse her. There's something he just showed that was incredibly, incredibly powerful. And in this moment, he shows them something as well. They're like, what? Here's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Luke chapter 10, verse 40, it says then, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. And he just put these two at different spots. Here's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus' teaching. And Martha's, it says she's distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. Um, but what Martha was doing, this was actually what was customary. This was what was expected. <laughs> uh, hospitality was a huge thing back then. You know, it wasn't like if somebody knocked at your door, you said, hey, come on in. Now it's like knocked at the door and you're like, uh, no, I already, no, I already go to church or whatever it is. You know, I'm not interested in whatever you're selling. No, we already have a vacuum. Whatever it is, it's like close the door. They're like, hey, come on in. And, and so Martha would have seen as Jesus came to the door, hey, come on in. Hey, you brought 12 friends, 12 hungry men. And she's like, we got we to gotta cook dinner for these 12 hungry men. See, today we drive to someone's house, we hang out for coffee, and we drive home. Not like that then. They drove, they ate, they stayed. And so here's Martha doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's actually doing something good. But it says that uh, um, Luke writes it down that she was distracted. That the word Jesus used, distracted, it's not like distracted like we think distracted. You're driving, you get a text. Huh. It was this thing of you're so busy. You're, you're over busy. You're too busy. You're driven about mentally. You're being drawn away. 
Ever feel like that sometimes? The life is just crazy busy. It's just there's so much going on. Some of you are like, yeah, we call that Christmas. It's just one thing after another. For some of you, you were raised in the generation you know, that was, that was pioneering out here. We were going to make it, we're going to make a name for ourselves. Maybe it was your parents. And you're like, we're going to build businesses and we're going to work hard. And it's always been work, work, work. And you've worked really, really hard. And some of you have had conversations with me and said, Mark, don't work as hard as I work because I missed out on my, uh, on my kids growing up. It's as you get to that spot, you're like, man, I was work, 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 busy, busy, busy. And maybe you're not part of that generation. Maybe you're part of this one, which is like the ADD generation where it's almost like, you know, that was a, a thing that kids had and now everybody has. And we kind of like almost celebrate ADD as like, if you don't have it, well, something's wrong with you. We're just so easily distracted. You know, as even as you're hearing my voice, you're thinking about something until I say, now, and they're back. It's true, isn't it? Mind wanders. I can't actually blame you because... I was the same. You know, when I was a kid in church, I was thinking about this. I remember growing up in, uh, in, in church, and I just remember I had three recurring daydreams that I would have all the time. I'd be sitting there, and pastor's speaking up there, and I'd be like, this, ours kind of is plain, but their church stage had all these, like, angles and railings. And I was like, man, I wonder what it would be like to skateboard down that railing. I think that would just be awesome. And I'm like, but I don't even skateboard. But if I did, if I did it would be amazing. And then I thought, you know, I, I don't, this one's really strange, but I always pictured what it would be like to ride a reindeer down the aisle and then back around. And I was like, man, people would think that is so cool. And then, and then we had this thing, like they had like pipe organs and stuff. And then up at the top, there was this big box thing. We, we didn't know what some, one of the kids told me they keep the dead people's bones in that box. And I, no lie, I would sit there and wonder, I wonder whose grandpa's in there today. That's how I made it through all my church years as a kid. I don't know how I ended up here. Uh, that, so I don't point any fingers. I don't know what, you're probably, that's what you're probably thinking about now. What's that covered up at the top up there, you know? <laughs> but it's easy, right? Like, it's, it's not good, but it, it's easy. We're so easily distracted. We're so easily drawn away. Maybe for you, you got distractions for Christmas. You got a brand new distraction with a two-year plan. And it's like, it just is, you know, it's one of those things. I try and do my devotions. Whoa, Facebook. You know, or like I'm doing my devotions and someone texts me. Uh, whatever it may be. So easily distracted. You know, Jesus is saying to, to Martha, he says, you know what, Martha? You, or actually, Luke's writing about it. She's distracted. He uses this word cumbered. We don't really use that word very often. I don't. But cumbered means like you're just like weighed down. You're weighed down with this dinner that you're preparing. It's like a, a heaviness comes over you. You're not sure what it is, but it's just, it's, it's there. Luke chapter 10, verse 40, here's the rest of the verse. Martha was distracted. She was weighed down. She was drawn away by the big dinner she was preparing. And she comes to Jesus and says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. You've got kids. You've had this conversation. You know, go clean your room. Finner's not doing as much as me. Well, Max isn't deep. Max is making more messes. Sam, I didn't dump that stuff there. And they come back. It's like, just, you know, Dad, tell him. Tell him to help out. Tell him to do more. And if you don't have children, that's a good reason, you know. <laughs> it says, 
He says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? Do you know what, though? He's, he's, he's tying this. He's saying, listen, she's so distracted. She's so weighed down that when she comes to Jesus, her response is, God, don't you care about me? And that is so true for so many of us. And we find ourselves so busy with everything, we don't even realize the, the weight that it puts on us. That It changes the way we see him. It's almost like it weighs you down and you're looking down and you just get your eyes off of him. It's like, God, don't you care about me? Look at all the stuff that's happening to me. Why is this happening to me? God, don't you even care about me? But you never have to doubt that God cares about you. Never. And we're going to see that in a second. He's like, don't you even care about me? Tell Mary. Tell Mary. See, Jesus, I tried telling her to, get, you know, to do what she's supposed to be doing. She listens to you. You tell her. You tell her what to do. And Jesus' response was shocking. Shocking. And it's probably the reason why Luke recorded. Here, you can read along with me. Jesus said, wait, what? Mary, what are you doing down there? You know that you're not allowed here. You get back to work. You get back to the kitchen. And the Greek word for kitchen is Kitchen. Some of you are like, what? I did not know what that was in the Bible. Um, That's from the fake Bible translation, for those who are wondering. Some of you are like, what? I never saw. I knew it. Woman. It just gets better. That's not the thing. I I just, I hope you knew that. I hope. Oh, it's epic fail if you did it. Here's here's the real response. Here's the real response. Just as, just as shocking. He says, the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, and uh, he says, you know what he says, my dear Martha? It's actually written Martha, Martha. He says the the word's written twice, the name's written twice. Back then, they didn't have, like, as they were writing, they didn't have bold, they didn't have underline, they didn't use punctuation like exclamation points. So what they would do when they said, when they wanted to imply or infer volume or importance, they would just repeat the word. So when he's saying Martha, Martha, is actually saying Martha, you know, when you read in, in Revelation where it says, holy, 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 the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We, don't, we just read that. But with that literary term is like, there is so much volume and importance. It would be like all of heaven screaming at the top of their lungs, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's saying, you know, this one moment, he's like, Martha, that, that moment to just snap out of it for a minute. You know, it's like, you know, Jesus, don't you care about me? Hold on, I got to go to the gravy. You know, all the gravy. Okay, Jesus, send Mary for real. All the breads, you know, I got to get the bread out of the, and coming back. He's like, Martha. And I hope that that's the moment that happens this morning for you. Is that as in the busyness and this, I know I'm going to get to church, I got to listen. But it's also in that moment of, whoa, hold on one second. See, you came here thinking, uh, God, do you even care about me? Jesus, do you even care about me? And he's like, Martha, <laughs> hold on one second. Hold on one second. He says, you're worried. You're worried and upset over all the details. Martha, this stuff that you're doing, 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 it's making you anxious. It's making you troubled. It's making you worried. It's making you stressed. And then I think Jesus would have said this. Ain't nobody got time for that. I was going to sing it, but I won't. Martha, nobody's got... Nobody's really got time for that. He's like, don't you realize what it's doing to you? Yeah, yeah, you're doing something good. We appreciate that you're going to feed us. That's good, but it's not most important. And here's the key for this morning. Yes, you might be doing lots of good stuff, but are you doing what's most important? Yeah, you're doing a lot of good stuff, but is it what's most important? Is all of the busyness and the stuff you're doing, is it drawing you away from what's most important? 
because it has the tendency to do that. And I can definitely relate to it in many areas. This week, actually, uh, I had one of those moments. Is why I'm talking about it today, because I probably need it more than you. But um, there's this, uh, my son downloaded this game on his phone called Golf Clash. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's, uh, it's like the best game ever. <laughs> you can golf in the winter. It seriously is like, oh, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it, it, was, it was great. Um, but I found it on his phone. He's showing me. I'm like, oh, I'm starting playing now. I'm like, wow, I'm pretty good. And I was like, wow, I'm like, I might be a natural. Like, I'm like raising the ranks. And I'm like, I was in two millionth place out of like seven million people in the world or whatever. And I was like, this, this is pretty great. And then I was like, son, you know, he would play it. And I'm like, you lose. Don't lose. You're bringing down my win percentage, you know? And so I changed the name on the, on the player to Marximus instead of Lincoln. And, and it was like, this is now, I kind of hijacked his phone. And so my kids, they would, they would see me playing the, the golf game. And, and then I'd hear them, like they'd come into the, to my room. And then um, all of a sudden I heard, you know, Reese saying, oh, don't bug dad. He's playing golf. And I'm like, yes, more time for golf. And then I, the other day though, we're sitting around the table and we're just having dinner together. And my son says, Oh, golf, you know, dad, mom, dad says bad words when he plays that game. I'm like, I do not. Like, dad, you said, I'm like, whoa, hold on, hold on. Just for the record, it was freaking. Um, But anyways, dad, you say bad words. And it's something that dawned on me. I'm like, this dumb app is is making me into someone I don't want to be. I just was this awareness of, I don't want to be the guy who someday says, wow, I got like 6,000 points in, uh, in golf clash, uh, and I hung out with my kid's phone more than with my kid. I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that's like, wow, this little device makes me use language that I, I don't really want to be known for using. I, I, don't like where it's, I don't like where it's taken me. It's just that moment of saying it's so easily that something distracts me from someone. It's so simple, and it can happen in our lives all the time. My question, are there distractions in your life that are drawing you away from who you really want to be? Are the distractions like work, that you work so hard, it's actually drawing you away from what you're working for? You work so hard, it's drawing you away from life, or it's drawing you away from your kids, or it's drawing you away from your marriage. Are you so busy that it actually draws you away from real relationship? You're doing good. You're doing it for them, but you're actually missing the relationship in the moment. Is it drawing you away from relationship with him? Because primarily that is what is most important. And Jesus' answer to Martha reminds her. Martha, just wait one second. But it doesn't just remind her. It reminds, it reminds us. You know, Martha, you asking, do you even care about me? For us this morning, you ever come with that thought, do you even care about me? Can I tell you, you never have to ask that question because he proved it once and for all that he cares about you. He sent his son to give his life for you on a cross when we didn't deserve it. He rescued us while we were still sinners and gave his life for us. He loves you. He cares about you. You never. So when that question is there, it's actually saying something more about you than about him. God, do you even care about me? Do you care about what's going on? And here's what he said. He says, Martha, you're so distracted. You're so busy doing all this stuff and this stuff. But Mary, Mary's um, discovered something. He says, there's only one thing, just one thing. I'm glad because I'm not real good with remembering lists of lots of things. There's one thing worth being concerned about. He says, really, there's one thing that's needed. 
there's one thing that's needed. Mary's discovered it. And we read that word, it's like discovered it, like, oh, cool, Mary found it. Just happened to be like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll sit at Jesus' feet. And like, well, I accidentally discovered that this was a great thing. Thanks, Jesus, for validating me. It's not that word at all. It's actually the word we started with this morning, resolution. She actually chose that intentionally for herself. That's what that word means. I intentionally chose this for myself. Uh, she made a firm decision that I'm going to be a follower of Jesus first. I'm going to be a disciple of his first. I'm going to sit at his feet first. And that reminder, Jesus said, is that's the one thing that's needed. And she's chosen this good thing, this thing that brings joy, this thing that brings happiness. She's chosen that. You've got the choice. I can choose busy, busy, busy. But it's stress, anxiety, worry comes along with it. It's not that you just toss all that off. And like somebody last night was like, oh, thank you. I knew I was supposed to quit my job and not work anymore. I'm like, you've misinterpreted this whole message. Can I just tell you that, that your job will go differently if you take the time to just be at his feet, saying, Jesus, I'm going to face today with you. I'm going to take today, I'm going to take time with, with you. I want to be your follower first. So wherever I find myself, I'm your follower first. Stephen Covey said it this way, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's pretty easy to remember. Try with me. The main thing is to keep... I'll just you. Shout it like you mean it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, but he's borrowing that from 2,000 years ago where Jesus is simply saying that to Mary and to Martha, reminding Martha, Martha, the main thing, just keep the main thing the main thing. There's one thing that's needed, just one thing. So my question today is for us is, well, how about me and how about you? Are, are, do you relate with the characters in this story? And which one do you relate with? Because maybe, and my hope would be that you relate with Mary and say, you know what? Yeah, that's, that is where I've set my life. That is where I've set my day. That is who I am. It's, I'm his follower, and uh, he's priority in my life. Others, maybe like, he's kind of been back burner a little bit because I've got this stuff that I got to do. Are you uh, too busy? Are you distracted by things? Are you being drawn away from things that are most important? And there's lots of things that are more important. But what about most important? So this, today I just want to invite you to, I guess, a resolution invitation. Maybe that's the best way to say it. I can't tell you what to do, and I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me either. But it's that opportunity to have an invitation to make a resolution that simply say, you know what, I'm going to choose for myself this year to spend more time at the feet of Jesus. Not that I'm just going to like sit and like, Jesus, hopefully I'm at your feet. I, I, that thing, of, I want to know him. I want to know what he said. I want to study his word. I want to live out what he's, he's told me to live. I want to love others the way he's told me to love others. I want to follow him. I want to study his word and I want to make that firm decision myself. I want to do that. Like every resolution that's worth something, it's not easy. It's difficult. If you read, you Google and say, how to keep a New Year's resolution, they'll give you six easy steps. One is start small. Two is tell someone. And three is ask for support. I'm like, those are pretty great because it's actually the same for this. We can't do it on our own. So it's that thing of saying, you know what, start small. Say, you know what, I'm just going to spend, I'm going to, I'm going to spend more time just studying his word. I'm going I'm to start somewhere. I'm going to start small. And then I'm going to tell someone. Well, who do I tell? Let's end with the skit, guys, and I have one last thought for you. Who am I kidding? God, I wear myself out trying to outdo everyone. I, 
I can one-up everything, and it's exhausting. I have a lot of baggage, and it is not all from the mall. Well, some of it is. I'm trying, God, I am. But there's a reason why I'd rather stay at home. I'm weak, God. I know it, you know it. And you know what, God? This year, I'm giving you all the places that hurt. I'm gonna give you all of my failed attempts that I think are gonna make me a better man. You are a strong fortress, God, you. And I'm gonna let you be strong in my weakness. All right, God, I'm gonna start with the best relationship, you and me. And then, We'll move outward from there. Hmm? Because this year, I mean it. 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 This year, I mean it. Why do we say talk to God first? You're like, I don't know how to pray. If you know how to talk to somebody, you know how to pray. Because that's simply what it is. Saying, God, I got to talk to you about this. And why would I suggest that? Because my thought this morning is that he's probably talking to you about it. If you're sitting here this morning, you're like, uh, yeah, that's me. That's not Mark trying to tell you and make you do something. When it gets to here, that's Holy Spirit talking to you. He's drawing you saying, listen, <laughs> I know what life is like for you. You weren't here by accident this morning to hear this, this thing, to just pause for a little bit, to just for me to draw you, draw you in, talk to God about it. And then the second thought would be, you know, talk to someone else about it. Because you're more likely to actually keep your resolution, to keep your firm decision if someone else knows about it. And real quick, here's the thoughts. Join a Bible study. You know, maybe you've heard about the precept Bible studies here. And you're like, you know, oh, I don't know who Jackie Constable is. You know, I don't know if I want just, to. Just join one. So many of you have been a part of a Bible study and have said, wow, I grew so much because of that Bible study. Maybe you're hearing like, I already tried 15 of those Bible studies and it doesn't work for me. Join another one. You know, or find another way. Maybe for you, it starts differently. Maybe for you this year, I'd encourage you to download the Bible app. The Bible app, you can get it on every phone. Maybe you're like, well, I don't read good. That's, this thing's awesome because it will read to you. No excuse, right? You say that it will read to you. Driving your tractor and God's word is going into your ear and into your heart. It'll read to you. And I say, if you join the Bible app, the reason I suggest this one is that join this and then add some friends on there. Some people, and you don't even have to add lots of friends. You just need to add one person. You add June Udell. She will make sure that you're reading all the time. June actually texts me every morning the verse of the day. Sometimes I wake up to get, I'm like, oh, June. And other times it's like, this is like exactly what I need for today. And I sometimes don't know it right in the moment, but later. But it's that thing of if someone else is also taking the journey with you. Or join a small group. You know, join a small group. As we go into the new year, you'll be hearing about different small groups like, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, we have a group for that. It's called Starting Point. Uh, if you're like, I don't even know if I believe in all this Bible bumbo jumbo, this would be a great spot to have some questions and ask some questions and have some conversations about it. If you feel him drawing on you, he's waiting for you to take that next step. Where's it going to be? To the kitchen or to his feet? That, that's the question this morning. And you're like, well, you know, there is no small group here that fits me. Then start one. How do I do that? Just mention in the cafe. You know, normally you're talking to the cafe and like, brownies again? It could be, hey, how's, uh, how's your walk with the Lord? I've learned to start asking that question with people and you get some 
different varied answers, but it brings something real here. It's like, you know, maybe if somebody's like, hey, I'd like to get to know you better. Uh, would, you, would you be willing to do like a, a, you know, a Bible study with me? That's not a pickup line, just saying. That should be men to men, women to women. <laughs> yeah, it might feel like an awkward conversation, but it could change your life. It could change the life of the other person. I just encourage you, take, take a step. Take a step. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. I, I know it messes with us sometimes, but I just love that because it just shows how alive it is, how powerful it is, how life-changing it is. God, thank you for everything that you've done in my life so far. I'm just grateful that you're not done yet, uh, that you keep drawing me back to, to you. I get distracted and kind of follow other things that you keep bringing me back, and I'm just grateful for that. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in hearts around this room today. I thank you for what you're doing in hearts that are listening to this online today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us wisdom and courage to take the next step in our journey with you. That we really could say that this life is something we are doing with the God of the universe, not just for. Thank you for the relationship we can have with you. We go out in your name and for your glory today. Love you. Amen.